Osborne, good, good song. Last night at prayer meeting, we were just talking about some things, and people, some, somebody said, I just want to testify that God's good. And, um, you know, it is good to have somebody that is good leading you through life. And then somebody said, well, yeah, but, but I'm glad I have a great God. One thing to have a good God, it's another thing to have a great God that's also good. And then to have a God that would lead you. I told it this morning, I said it last night, I'm so glad that God led me to Tabernacle Baptist Church. And um, I can look back over my life, places that God's led me. I can see the places where I should have probably been somebody else's story. And how many times has God intervened and kept you from becoming a story for someone else? What a blessing it is to have a God that leads and guides his people. Have to be a living God to do that. Well, take your Bible, John chapter 17 this morning. If you have your Bible, we're going to go to John 17. And um, great chapter in the Bible. I know some of you may have heard of the Lord's Prayer. And that is usually a reference to what I think is called a model prayer in the Gospels where Jesus teaches his disciples how to pray. But this, this is the Lord's Prayer. If you want to see how Jesus prays, then you can read about that here in John chapter 17. I think it's unusual that this long prayer that we see of Jesus occurs after a sermon. And, uh, you know, I think, I think it might be a good idea for us maybe to spend more time praying after the sermon than we do. And I don't mean necessarily in the altar, but I mean praying about what we've heard and praying about taking and applying it to our life. And then it's also before the darkest moment of his life, a moment of great testing and suffering, a moment of battle with the devil and with the world. And yet he prays and we would be, we would be well to observe that. Verse number one, it's a prayer from the heart. These words spake Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify thy son, that thy son also may, be, may glorify thee. He lifted up his eyes. That's exactly what he did at the tomb of Lazarus. And he pours out his heart. The Bible says Jesus wept there. And he's pouring out his heart to God, his eyes being lifted. He's looking. And I don't think he's just looking in the atmosphere or in the astrological heavens. I think he's looking beyond and he's looking at the face of his father. And you say, well, we don't have that liberty. Yes, you do. You may not be able to see the face of your father. But when you pray, you're not praying to the atmosphere and the astrological heaven. You're talking to the God of heaven is who you're talking to. You pour out your heart. And there are things in your heart that perhaps you can't tell anyone else. There are things that you carry that you cannot take and give to anyone else. But I promise you this morning, there's a God in heaven you can trust with the deepest, darkest, most heavy secrets of your heart. And not only can you give them to him, he knows what to do to help put them in the right order. I appreciate that. As I look at this prayer, he does a lot of praying for others and not himself. And I have to confess many times my prayers consist of things perhaps that I might need or sometimes my prayer consists of confession in speaking to God about sins or faults or failures. And you can trust God with your sins as well. I'd say this to you. I would never confess my sins to a man because that man can't do anything about my sins. 
But Jesus, Jesus knows what to do with those sins. And oftentimes I find myself many times praying and it becomes so self-directed. But this prayer is just the opposite of that. You would think going to the darkest moment, which he knew he was going to, a, a moment of great suffering that he would be asking his father for strength and all of these other things. And yet the prayer that we have recorded is more about praying for others. And if you look at it, look what the Bible says in verse number nine, it even says that. The Bible says, I pray for them. Now that them in verse number 12, while I was with them in the world, that's his disciples, I kept them in thy name, Peter, James, John, Andrew. Those that thou gavest me have I kept and none of them is lost but the son of perdition. That's Judas Iscariot. So certainly the them in John 17 would be the disciples. And he says, look, I'm praying for them. I'm praying for Peter. I'm praying for John. I'm praying for Thomas. I wouldn't doubt that he prayed for Judas. But then he goes on to say in verse number 20, if you look what the Bible says, neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word. Can I ask you a question? How many of you have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ and been saved? The message that those apostles carried to the world and then how Paul caught a glimpse of that and then carried it to all of Asia and to Europe and how it reached this continent. And now we're in a building today because somebody was faithful to tell the story that Jesus Christ died for the sins of men and he's the only Savior. And hey, we got in there and you know what? I'm glad that he's prayed for the apostles, but I'm glad he's praying for you as well. You feel like nobody's praying for you? If you didn't have a praying mother, boy, I'm thankful that I did. If you didn't have a praying dad and you didn't have a, a, a praying family, you, you know what you have? you have? You have the Lord Jesus Christ. He is an intercessor on your behalf. He prays for you when you're down and he prays for you when you're in need. He prays for you when you're alone, when you're being tempted and tested. Hey, if nobody's praying for you, are you listening? Jesus Christ is praying for you. I pray for them. Then look at verse 15. Not only do I pray for them, in verse 15, I've already read it. He says that I, I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them. My interest is, Lord, Father, not that you take them out of the world. And one day, one day we're leaving this wicked world. I say, man, this world is not my home. I have a home on the other side of this world. And he said, I, I'm not praying that you take them out of the world, but that you would keep them. The reason he says that is in verse 14, because the world hath hated them because they are not of this world. I'd like to just testify to that point for just a moment. I believe if you're born again and you're a child of God, you ought not to look like what's in the world. In fact, we welcome sinners to come into this church and hear the truths of the Bible. But what we do not welcome is the philosophy and the fashion of the world coming into this church. We don't need the world's music here. We don't need that here. All right. And he says, I'm not, I'm praying that you would keep them, protect them, that you would put a, put a hedge about them. I pray that for my children, for others on a regular basis. And then he, he says in verse 17, look what he says, sanctify them. Father, I want you to sanctify them. This is, this is the prayer of the Lord to his father. I want you to sanctify them. I want you to take them and I want you to clean them up. I want you to separate them from the world and separate them to you. And the way that he does that, look, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. I'm, I'm going to tell you, church, uh, if you want truth, 
You don't need to turn to Fox News that's balanced and fair. You need to turn to the King James Bible to find out what God's mind is on something. If you want to be sanctified, you don't need to get your neighbor's mind on it or the church down the road's mind on it or what they're saying on CNN or what they're saying on talk radio. If you want to be sanctified, you're going to have to find the truth in this Bible. That's why we emphasize preaching at this church. There are other churches that emphasize drama and they emphasize sharing and they emphasize all kinds of other things. This pulpit right here is exactly where it needs to be. It's right in the center here of this auditorium and we believe that the preaching of the Bible is what men need, not my truth, but his truth. Amen. Amen. So he said, sanctify them. Then look at verse 18. Verse 18. The Bible says, as thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I sent them into this world. He's conscious of them being sent out. Boy, it's such a blessing to come to church on Sunday, hear that organ playing, hearing the choir sing, see people that you love and know, getting to greet them. I mean, to come in here is kind of like stepping out of the filth of the world and the sewers of the world. And some of you have to work in places where you hear cursing all the time. Boy, I'm glad I get to work at church and don't have to hear any of that. You have to put up with all kinds of terrible philosophy. Some of you get made fun of because of the way you dress and what you won't do with other people. And, and, and you know, all of those things are, are out in the world. That's normal. But when you come in here, isn't it a blessing to get inside of this place and have a little bit of rest from that? But when we get in here and we get, we get charged up and filled up, then you know what God says? I want to send them. They need to go out. This world needs the salvation that you have in your heart. Amen. Ruth, did you get saved a couple weeks ago? Aren't you glad you got saved? Amen. Is life better now that you're saved than it was before you got saved? So here you are going to Bible college in your heart, just not certain about the future. There's a, there's a wrestling going on. Has that been settled now? You know what, what you have? They need out there. Amen. They need that out there. The world is filling up the cups and the pill bottles of something to numb the problems they have on the inside. And we have a Jesus that has the answer for their life. We need to be sent. And then not only that, then he says in verse number um, 23, he says, I and them and thou and me that they may be perfect in one, that the world may know that thou hast sent me and hast loved them. So he's praying for them to be kept to be sanctified, to be sent, to know that they're loved. Um, there probably is somebody here today, somebody listening today, that the devil would tell you or have you to believe that you're not really loved and you really have no value, that really, that you're just a, a person that's been passed by not only maybe the world but also by the Lord because Sometimes cancer comes along and we question why. A sickness to somebody we love and we question why. The home going of a spouse that we've had for a long time. And I know the devil. The devil's a liar and he's a deceiver. And he'll slide up next to you and he'll say, if the Lord really loved you, he would not have allowed that to happen. Well, I'm telling you right now, Jesus Christ proved how much he loved you and I by what he suffered on the cross of Calvary. He left heaven 
and came to this earth. He put aside his glory and he took on the robe of flesh. He spent 30 years in obscurity and then three years in public ministry. And then he went to a cross and he was spit upon and he had people to mock him and he was beaten and bruised. And you know why he did all that? Not prove how great a man he was. He did that because he loved you. Listen, you don't need a Valentine card or a balloon or a bouquet of roses from heaven to let you know Jesus loved you. All you've got to do is look at Calvary. He loved you as wide as love can be, as deep as love can be. In fact, I marvel still that I have a God the Bible says in Romans chapter 5 that God commended his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners. It's one thing to love people that are a part of your family, but it's another thing altogether different to love people that maybe take your name in vain and don't care about your Bible and don't care about what you've done for them and how you've censured goodness to them. Hey, Jesus loved you when we were in sin. He loved us then. Thank you. He's praying, Lord, Father, I want them to know you love them. Amen. That's his prayer. Now, there's all kinds of other things that are in this passage. And for sake of time, I, I'm not going to address them. But I, I do want to point out something to you today that God just worked on my heart about this prayer of the Lord. If you look what the Bible says, in speaking about Jesus praying for them and what he wants, in verse 13, I now... Come and now come out of thee, and these things I speak in the world, that they might have my joy fulfilled in themselves. Four times in this chapter, this prayer, Jesus addresses what's on the inside of the people he's praying for. And I know as Baptists, we believe the outside is important. I don't think that it's appropriate to neglect the outside. And what I mean by that is we all have things that we take care of on the outside. I mean, we, we today, I, I doubt there's anybody in here that, that you came to church the way you got up out of bed. Right? Right? You did something with the hair that you have. You did something with the clothes you have. I mean, you did something to try to take care of the... I mean, there are things that you did that addresses the outside. And, and really, I, I would say, if I ask you to raise hands, I won't in the event that somebody didn't do anything. <laughs> you spent time today on the outside. Amen. But let me ask you a question. Your skin and your clothing... Is that more important than the organs and the blood that's coursing through your veins? I don't know how many of us even thought about the organs in our body today, the heart that you have, the lungs that you have, the liver, the kidney. Now, if you have cancer, you probably thought about it. But if you don't, you probably didn't give any thought about what's on the inside. And yet what's on the inside, if you had a problem with your heart today, you probably would not be here today. And what's on the outside would not mean nearly as much. The outside is certainly something we want to address, but the inside is critically important. And, and he is praying about what's on the inside. In fact, put a little mark right there, and I'm going to go past 12 o'clock today. Is that okay? All right, go, go to Matthew 23 just a moment. I think it's a really important truth we need to see. He's praying for what's on the inside of them, what's in them, not what's on the outside, 
Though he prays about their keeping, he's praying for what's in them. And here's why. Matthew 23, probably one of the strongest passages in the Bible that Jesus preached to the most religious people that you'll find in the New Testament, the Pharisees. And what he said to those Pharisees, he addressed the main problem that they had. They, they had a righteousness that was of the law. They kept the law. They, they were very strict, not just in the law in the scripture, but also in the traditions that they had developed. They were very observant of so many things. In fact, if you look there in Matthew 23, then Jesus addresses that. He says in um, verse number 25, he says, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you make clean the outside of the cup and of the platter, but within they are full of extortion and excess. So what you've done is you've taken and you've really worked on making certain that the outside looks really good. But on the inside, on the inside you have, you have all kind of excess and extortion. <laughs> I, uh, when I was in, in Alabama, I used to drink out of a cup. And I, I, I drink, I have one today still, and I, it was a night, they, they bought a nice crystal looking cup, very nice looking. They said, well, you know, preacher, we want you to drink out of this instead of drinking out of, you know, styrofoam cup, whatever. And I had a cup and I would, I would take that cup and when I, when I would finish a service, I would take it and I would put it underneath the pulpit. And the pulpit was open. This one is closed, but it was open. And I got sick a lot. And uh, some of you think I'm sick now in other ways, than, <laughs> but I got sick a lot. And one day, one day, one day, I looked over and I saw a little child. Now there, I love the kids came up on the platform. I loved that. I, I, I got to hug the kids here. You know, it's like climbing Mount Everest to get up here. And, and, um, but I was on the, and I saw a little kid reach over and he grabbed my cup. <laughs> Drank out of it. And, you know, I went over there and I looked in that cup. You know, there was a little floaty stuff in my cup. <laughs> now outside, crystal looking, nice looking, everything clean on the outside, on the inside, some little four-year-old's floaty stuff. <laughs> yeah. The inside is more important than the outside. I just about think I'd rather drink out of a paper cup <laughs> and have something clean. And then he goes on, he doesn't stop there. He, he's pushing the point. He's trying to get them to see, men, your problem is on the inside, not the outside. He says it again. Look what he says in verse number 27. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for year, like unto whited sepulchers, which indeed appear beautiful outward, but are within full of dead men's bones and of all uncleanness. In Alabama, they have a thing called decorations, particularly in the South of Alabama. And they'll take and they'll put sand on those graves. They'll come out and they'll put all kind of flowers on those graves and they'll decorate them. They'll, they'll go and they'll clean the headstones and they'll try to make everything look good. And what he's saying is you guys are taking, you're making everything on the outside of that tomb look good, but on the inside, it's dead men's bones. What's on the inside is wrong. It's filthy. Look at it one more time. Verse number 28, he says, even so ye also outwardly appear righteous unto men, but within ye are full of hypocrisy and iniquity. Your appearance, now he's getting at it. He's talked about a cup and he's talked about a tomb. Now he's saying, but you, on the outside, you look like everything is in order. But on the inside, 
On the inside, you're just like those tombs that are full of dead men's bone and extortion and excess. You, you have hypocrisy. You have iniquity. You have stuff on the inside that is really taking and ruining who you are. He says that again. Look in Mark, if you would. Mark chapter 7. Matthew, Mark chapter 7. And I think it's important that I show you this before I show you what he wants on the inside. Mark chapter 7. In Mark chapter 7, there's a big, there's a big concern, again, on the Pharisees and scribes part about washing hands. And, um, you know, I, t- I think we've kind of, <laughs> we have gone to the extreme in, in hand cleanliness now. And, and uh, we have, you know, everybody's got hand sanitizer and stuff you spray on your hands. And I'm not against you having clean hands. And, you know, I, I remember somebody told me when you wash your hands in the bathroom, you know, sing happy birthday and then that'll take care of that. Well, uh, the other day I got a text sent to me that there's an app that I could put on my phone and my watch that I can touch. And every time that I am in the restroom, it will tell me how long to wash my hands. You said, did you download it? Absolutely not. But we're concerned about that. How long do you wash your hands? I have been admitted. I've been admitted into some places where people were very sick and had very, very invasive procedures done. And they would make me put stuff on and I would have to go and I would have to wash my hands. And and, and it told you how long they wanted you to wash. Because they knew that disease came along with that. In fact, a Jewish doctor is the one that came up with the idea that we need to wash our hands and scrub between the patients because there are things transferred from one patient to another. Well, the idea here in Mark 7 is this, verse number 2, And when they saw some of his disciples eat bread with defiled, that is to say with unwashed hands, they found fault. They said, you guys didn't wash your hands. For the Pharisees and all the Jews, except they washed their hands off, eat not holding the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the market, except they wash, they eat not. And many other things there be which they have received to hold as the washing of cups and pots and brazen vessels and of tables. In other words, he's saying that these Jewish people, they're not going to eat if they're at the market shaking hands, changing money, which is probably a wise thing, that they're not going to eat before they wash their hands and they wash the plates and the cups and all of that. And they're saying, you guys have a problem. You are one of those non-hand-washing people. And so Jesus says, well, I need to to address that just a moment. So what he does, he says in verse number 20, and he said, that which cometh out of the man, that defileth the man. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, Wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile the man. He lists 13 things in a man's heart. And he says, you guys are so concerned about having your hands washed before you pick up a piece of bread that you fail to recognize that those things that are in the heart is what comes out of the man and defiles the man. That's that's why, and I don't have one up here right now. Has anybody got a cell phone on you? You got one on you right there? Dan, go ahead and hold that cell phone. Get a cell phone. Just hold it up in the air right there. All right. There's nothing wrong with that. You got a picture of your wife on there. Turn around and let everybody see that. Pre-Valentine, isn't that good? Oh, I knew it was, oh. 
That device in itself is not wrong, but you know what? What comes through that device gets down into your heart and into your mind. And somebody says, well, this is really a problem right here. You know, you don't pay your bills. That's a problem. You ought to pay your bills. You ought to pay your bills. If you have a bill, you ought to pay it. All right? But the point is, if you don't pay your bill, and then you get upset about that, but you're taking and you're looking at things that put filth down in the heart, what's in the heart is going to defile the man, not what's on the outside. So what I'm saying is, Jesus is addressing that what's inside a man, what's in the heart, that's what makes that man filthy. That's what defiles that man. So in John 17, go back there if you w- w- would, if you're with me, if with me, if you would. There we go. We'll get it right. <laughs> the four things that he says, these need to be in them. Now, that doesn't mean that Jesus would minif- minimize the way you dress and the way you speak. Um, but he says, I, I'm God, Father, I want these in them, in them. And, I, and I'll, be, I'll be to the point. The first one is this, in verse number 8. Look what he says. For I have given unto them the words which thou gavest me, and they have received them, and have known surely that I came from thee, and they have believed that thou didst send me. What he said is, I've given them the words you gave me, Father. So God the Father gives Jesus the words that he wants them to hear, and Jesus gives the disciples those same words. And he says, you've received them. You've taken and you've accepted them down into your heart. You've accepted those words. And what I would say is this. Listen, what we need in us, we need the word of God in us. I know you know the verse. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way by taking heed thereto according to thy word. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. In other words, this Bible ought to be in us. I think there's a difference between reading your Bible and having the Bible in you. Now, I I think reading the Bible helps give that opportunity. But being around the Word of God, and and this is a Sunday morning crowd, and, and, you know, I hope you're back tonight, and I hope you're not watching the Super Bowl, and and I hope if you do watch the Super Bowl and don't come to church, I hope your TV melts. (laughs) Right. But, but here's what I want you to understand. I, I don't think that preaching is something that I need to emphasize because I'm a pastor and a preacher. I think you and I need to be in a place seated so we can hear the Word of God, so it can get down into our heart. I, I, I read the Bible not so I can check off a box and be spiritual and say, well, I read my Bible. I read the Bible so God can put the Word down in my heart. We can memorize scripture like Brother Scott has taken and try to get our teenagers involved in. We put the scripture down in our heart so it helps direct our paths. And he's saying, listen, Father, I've given unto them the words which thou gavest me and they have received them. And can I, I'm going to just say this morning, listen, we ought to agree with the Bible and always disagree with the world when it conflicts with the Bible. The Bible says, how can two walk together except they be agreed? You cannot walk in fellowship with God if you don't accept what he's put down in his word. 
That's why I believe that the modern church movement that just says you can live however you want to live, tear out all the pages in there that talk about drinking and talk about immorality and talk, just tear all those pages out. Just live and love Jesus. You know what? That's not, that's not consistent with the scripture. How can two walk together except they be agreed? I need to look at the Bible and say, God, whatever's in this book, that's what I want to do with my life. We practice the Bible. Look at verse 17. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. You practice what's in the Bible. He said, I want the word of God in you. I can't remember. Somebody the other day was talking about, maybe it was at the retreat. They were talking about counterfeits. I believe it was Hobart. And he was talking to a banker and, or maybe a teller. And, and he was asking, how do you tell the difference between a counterfeit bill and a real bill. How do you do that? Do they bring in all those counterfeits? They show you different kinds. And that person said, no, they, they never show us any counterfeits at all. Well, then how do you know? Well, we just get so familiar with the real thing that when the wrong thing touches my hand, I already know there's not something right there. Come on, don't you think when it comes to the principles that guide our life, we should be so familiar with the right thing that when the wrong thing touches our hand, we say, hey, that's, that is the wrong direction right there. To have the Word in you. Not to have a Bible in your hand or on your device. To have the Word in you. He says, I'm, I'm, I'm very concerned that you have the Bible in you. You know, I think if you have the Bible in you, it'll keep you doing things like drinking. You say, why? Because the Bible's against drinking. Now, if you're frowning at me right now, I'm going to think you didn't appreciate that statement. The Bible is very clear about what alcohol does to the body and what it does to the heart. That you see or you have perverse thoughts come into your heart. That you look upon strange women. That it perverts your judgment. What I'm telling you is the Bible is clear about that. If you live by that principle, it'll keep you a lot, out of a lot of problems. Second thing, second thing, because I want to direct. Verse number 13, and now I come to thee and these things I speak in the world that they might have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I think God wants you to have the word of God. Jesus said, I want the word of God in them, but I also want my joy in them. <laughs> and, and, and the joy of Jesus is not your joy. It's not your joy. L listen, I get happy when I find ice cream in the freezer. I don't think that has anything to do with having the joy of the Lord down in my heart. None. But I enjoy it. What he's saying here is, he's saying again, and he's very plain, that they might have my joy fulfilled in themselves. Now, we're not going to spend time to do it, but in John 15, you can go look at it later. The Bible is very clear that Jesus is the vine and we're the branches. And here's what he's saying. He's saying, if you want to be fruitful and if you want my joy in you, then you've got to abide in me. There has to remain a connection between me and you. And I'm just going to say this morning, if you come to church and you get out of your car and you walk in the doors and you got a Bible and you got the right Bible and you sit down, but you have no fellowship with Jesus, I don't know that there's any joy that's going to come from your heart from being here. But if you've had fellowship with the Lord at your home or on the way to church in your car and you sit down in here and all of a sudden Jesus' presence is manifest, you know what you're going to do? You're going to get happy on the inside. You're going to say, why is that choir shouting about that? Why is that man over there standing up and shouting? Why is that lady got that little hanky? I'll tell you why. Because the joy of the Savior is down in her heart and it's being expressed outwardly. 
Didn't find a hundred dollar bill in the songbook. He said, I want my joy in them. You know, I, I believe that we have a, I'm going to say for the most part, we have a joyful church. I don't think I'd want to be in a dry, dead, stuffy church. <laughs> in fact, I, I, the, the funeral home should never be something that we resemble. There ought to be something different. There ought to be a fellowship between us and the Lord that produces his joy. But then not only that, Jesus gets really excited and joyful when something that's lost gets found. In Luke chapter 15, they really took issue with Jesus eating with sinners. It says they, that, he, that he receiveth and eateth with sinners. They didn't like that. He's a friend of sinners. And so then he gives the parable. Here's this lost sheep, and that lost sheep gets found. And then here's this lost son, and that lost son gets found. I love the fact that the last word in Luke 15 is found, F-O-U-N-D. And you know what? There is nothing like a lost family member, a backslidden family member, coming back to the Lord. There is nothing like seeing somebody that was way out in the wilderness being brought back. To, and you know what? I think Jesus gets excited about that. In fact, I can say it this way. Terrell, you excited about the fact that you got James sitting here this morning dressed the way he's dressed, Manuel sitting right there, got your grandson in between you and your wife. You excited about that? You happy about that? Can I ask you a question? Do you think the Lord was happy about that? The other night, James was down here talking about reading the Bible. And James, I, I'm telling you, I, I'm happy about that, but I'm going to tell you, I think he's happy about that. The Lord knows who your grandmother and your granddaddy were. He knows what truth you've been given. He knows what prayers have been prayed. And I'm telling you, the day you step back the right direction, and we can't claim, I don't think we can claim that. I think that happened in a car on the way back from Florida. Is that right? Maybe we need to send more people to Florida. Amen. On the way back from Florida, that's it, honey. We're going to make some changes. I don't even remember all the words you told me. But he stepped back. And listen, the, the, the joy of a sheep coming home the Bible says rejoice with me. I, look, we ought to get happy when people that have been backslidden and are out in the world and are lost, when they step back in here, we ought not to give them the thousand-yard stare. We ought to be glad they're here. Amen. But then that lost son, that, lost, that son, that's family, that's personal. That's somebody who's out in the world. That's somebody that, that son's gone out there and listen, there's nothing, there's no joy. That Jesus said, listen, my son has come home and he said that we're going to be merry. And all I would say is this, I think the Lord gets excited about people that have been either out in the world or out in sin, getting saved or getting right with God. That's called reconciliation. The ministry of reconciliation. God has given us the word of reconciliation and the ministry of reconciliation and we are reconciling men to God. We're bringing two people back together that were at odds. Hey, he likes that more than the Super Bowl. Yeah. That's his joy. But you know, Really, when I read that, that my joy might be in them or fulfilled in them. Every time that you find that joy in the New Testament, usually it's paired with the Holy Ghost. In the epistles over and over again, one of the fruits of the Spirit is joy, love, Amen. joy, peace. And what you have in the Bible is in Romans 13, in Romans 15, the Bible speaks about the joy 
of the Holy Ghost. You know what I think God wants us to be filled with? Come on, church. He wants us to be filled with the Holy Ghost. Brother, Brother Melvin Ball, missionary in Brazil, went when he was 40. That man right there, you can say, well, he's full of the Holy Ghost. But you know what I think? Christian or, or Daniel? Daniel. God wants Daniel just as full of the Holy Ghost as he wants Melvin Ball. Well, but he's a preacher missionary. He's one of the kids in the children's home. Well, now, wait a minute. If he belongs to the Lord, God wants him full of the Spirit of God just like he wants him full of the Spirit of God. You say, what have I got to do? I got to do something spooky? No, you just got to keep, keep cleaned up on the inside, put self out of the way, and God wants to put the Holy Spirit in you and fill you with the Spirit of God. It's not something spooky or strange. It's Bible. Come on, some of y'all are looking at me real strange right now. Look, it's in the Bible. The Bible says be filled with the Spirit. All right. All right, and here, Jesus is concerned about the joy inside. And if you're full of the Holy Ghost, it's going to be a whole lot easier to be joyful. You'd feel the wrong kind of music and the wrong kind of things. You know what's going to happen? You're not going to have any joy on the inside. You might get happy, but you won't find any joy. Well, my goodness. Number three. Number three. He said, I want my joy in them. I want the word in them. And then look, if you would, verse number uh, 22. Verse 22. And I, I may just stop here. I think that's be far enough. Verse 22, he says, we'll start in verse... 21, that they all may be one as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. And the glory which thou gavest me, I have given them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them, and thou in me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that thou hast sent me, and hast loved them as thou hast loved me. Now, look at it in verse 22 again. And the glory which thou gavest me, I have given them. So the Lord is praying that those men would have the glory that the Father had given to him in them. I read that and reread that, and I've tried to think about that. If you look back, the very beginning verse we read, the, 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 the Bible says, Glorify thy son that thy son also may glorify thee in you know, there's all kinds of reasons that we ought to give God glory. I think we ought to give God glory because he gave us eternal life. Could somebody say amen to that? It goes on to say in verse number four, I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. We ought to give glory to God because he finished the job. All right, but, but here he's saying in verse 22, the glory which thou gavest me. Well, to me, that's, that's really high. So you're talking about the glory of the Father given to the Son. That's really high. I, I've always had a problem defining glory, and some of you folks that maybe have a little bit better hold on it, you can come talk to me about that. But I, I can read my Bible. You know, there was glory in the fact that Joseph was over all the kingdom of Egypt, and he said, you go back and you tell my father about that. There was glory when Jacob gathered all the goods that Laban had to himself, had all these things. So all of that glory, they said, that you, you've gathered all the glory of our father. So all these material blessings and then this position. And I think you could probably say honor and, and all kind of things about the word glory. But I've, I've had a problem in always trying to define that. And so when I look at this, I really have a difficulty because it says, the glory which thou gavest me. All right, that's back in... That's back before time began. That's back when the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost are one in, in, in where there is no eternity. He says, you gave me a glory. 
You gave me a glory. And I, I want that glory given to them. And, and so here, what is that glory? Look at verse 21. Here's what I think. That they may all be one as thou, Father, art in me and I in thee. So in other words, the Father, when the Son was born on the earth, the Father put himself in the Son. In fact, if you would think of it this way, you're right there in John 17, just turn three pages back to John 14. There's a question that comes up. Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And in verse 7, he says, if ye had known me, ye should have known my Father also. Jesus looking at these disciples, if you knew me, you should know my Father also. And from henceforth ye know, ye know him and have seen him. He said, you guys have seen him. Verse 8, Philip saith unto him, Lord, show us the Father and it suffices us. He said, well, show him to us. Let us see the Father. Verse 9, Jesus saith unto him, Have I been so long time with you, and yet hast thou not known me, Philip? He that has seen me has seen the Father. And how sayest then, show us the Father? Believest thou not that I am in the Father, and the Father in me? I can hear somebody saying, that's as confusing as it can be. No, it's not. We believe there's one God and three persons in that one God. We believe the Father, we believe the Son, we believe the Holy Ghost. And what Jesus is saying on the earth to Philip, he's saying, listen, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father because the Father is in me. <laughs> How many think that's a pretty high way to talk? That's pretty elevated. All right, you're looking at me. You're looking at me. You know my mother. You know Joseph. And you're looking at me, you're seeing the, you're seeing the Father. That's pretty high. And you know what? I believe that they took that. But then when you get back to John 17, look what he's saying there. So the Father is saying, I'm going to put myself in the Son. And he's transfigured on the Mount of Transfiguration. He walks on the water. You say, you believe that? Absolutely. I believe Jesus walked on the water. And then the Bible says in verse 22, And the glory which thou hast gavest me, I have given them. Well, what is that? Verse 23. I in them. That colon at the end of verse 22 says, Jesus says, now you were in me and now I am in them. Amen. How many think that's pretty high? Amen. Wait, wait, you're, you're telling me that God the Father is in the Son, Yes. And now the Son says, that glory you gave me, now I am in them. I'm giving that to them. I'm going to put myself in them. I'm, I'm interested in being in their life. Look at it. I in them and thou in me, that they may be perfect in one. Well, I could think about that. Good night. Oh, my goodness. That Jesus Christ. Listen, do you know if you're born again, that you got something on the inside of you that's a whole lot higher than you are? You know, if you're born again, that you have someone that lives within you that is a whole lot more important than anybody else in the whole world. And when I think about that, listen, you ladies, honestly, ladies, I, I know you know this. If you've got a house, don't you like to have your house clean? And don't men do a bad job of making it dirty? Come on, I know it's before Valentine's Day, but isn't that right? Track dirt in, spill stuff, all that kind of stuff. And you got to try to clean it up. You want a clean house. And men, they bring the dirt in. And I'd be honest, listen, there's all kind of things. There's reasons that I could say. I, I see many reasons why the Lord would not want to live in me. 
All right, because there's, there's things that have come out of my mouth, things that have gone into my ears, things that have gone into my eyes. There, there is filth on the inside of my life. We just read about it a minute ago in Mark. It talks about fornication and lust and lasciviousness and deceit and all those, those things that are inside of us, all that filth. And, are you, and that the God of heaven would live in his son. And then his son says, I tell you what I'm going to do, Father. I want to be in them, you and me and me and them. That he'd want to live in a dirty house. I say, amen. What a savior we have. Are you listening to me this morning? I'm not preaching about your neighbor or the people across the street or the folks in the White House. I'm talking about you and I. That you and I with a broken, dirty life that Jesus would say, I'm going to live on the inside of that. How about a broken house? Good night. I told the seniors this morning, and they probably laughed because they probably, I, I, nobody said it. They, they, they probably should have. Well, just, just wait. I, I take Motrin every day now and um, because I have things that hurt. And that's the only thing I can do to keep them from hurting. I take, I take a topical. I've, I've been trying to get back into shape and, and 30 minutes a day trying to exercise because I want to run as long as I can, but it hurts. So I take this, this topical ointment that's kind of like aspirin for the outside, and I rub it on my joints, and they hurt. And sometimes when I get up, I hurt. Anybody here get, anybody, anybody do that? My eyesight's not what it was, so i got to have a contact in this eye. But that contact, it gets dry. And it's like somebody's got their finger in my eye doing this. Well, if I take it out, I can't see. My family thinks that I can't hear. Every time I go to the doctor, he tells me i got another problem. Do you understand what I'm saying? Do, do you want to live in a broken house? Come Listen. <laughs> If the air conditioner quits working and the heat quits working, you're not going to be very happy. If the plumbing leaks or it doesn't work, you're not going to be very happy. If the windows let cold air in, if you go to the lock and you try to get in the door and you can't get in, oh my goodness, and it won't let you in? Who wants to live in a broken house? Can I say this to you? Not only do we have dirt on the inside, we're broken. There's not one of us that honor the curse of sin. The Bible says that sin in the world and death by sin. So we had all kind of problems. Listen, and I believe you ought to try to eat right. And I believe you ought to try to exercise if you can. And I believe all those things are good. But you know, in the end, you know what's going to happen to you? Your body's going to break down. If it's not already broken down. Come on, listen. And Jesus said, I'm going to move into that. I don't want to move into that. I have gone and stayed in places, hotels, and pulled back the sheets on the bed and said, that wasn't changed. I don't want to stay here. I have looked in the shower that wasn't cleaned and said, that's not clean. I don't want to stay here. I've gone into a place and flipped the switch and the air conditioner don't work. And I said, I don't want to stay in here. Y'all give us another room. Are you listening to me? You've got a God in heaven that in spite of you being broken, in spite of you have been dirty on the inside, Jesus said, Father, you and me and I in them and I want to live in them. Oh, my goodness. You say, why is that important? Well, look at it and I'll finish here. And that the world may know that thou hast sent me. That the world may know. Oh. You know that maniac of Gadara? He was a mess. 
There are folks maybe listening today, you think, my life's such a mess, there's no way Jesus would live within my heart. Maniac there's a mess, lives in the tomb, cuts himself, men can't chain him, and one day he, he bumps into Jesus, and then he's seated and he's clothed and in his right mind. Can you imagine somebody saying, which program did you go through? He said, oh, I didn't go through a program. Which 12-step process did you get through to get life? Oh, I didn't go through it. I didn't go through a 12-step. Well, what happened to you? Jesus happened to me. Paul, Paul, you know what the Bible says about Paul? Paul, who was a persecutor and, and blasphemed the gospel in the name. He said, but now he preaches that same gospel. Here's a guy that used to take and beat Christians and imprison them and had all, listen, hatred for Christianity. And one day, the next thing you know, he's out there standing in the corner of the street or he's out there in the synagogue and he's saying, by the way, guys, I just want you to know uh, this Jesus that came, this Jesus in Isaiah 53, this man in Isaiah, that's, that's Jesus Christ. What did you say, Paul? What did you say? I'm telling you that the scriptures teach that who we crucified was Christ. Amen. Have you got any friends that look at you and say, what happened to you? You got any friends like that? Anybody ever step back in your family and say, listen, what happened to you? And you think they want to blame it on church. Well, that church, they just brainwashed. That preacher, he's just, he's just a brain, he just brainwashed you. Oh, no, it, it's a whole lot deeper than that. It, 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 yes, it's a good church. Yes, we put the truth out. But there's something that touched my life a whole lot deeper than that, a whole lot bigger than that. It was the Lord on the inside. Amen. It wasn't a program or a pill or some methodology. It was Jesus that did something on the inside. And out goes the language, and out goes the alcohol, and in comes the Bible, and in come the hymns. And instead of sitting at the bar, I'm sitting in a pew on Sunday. Well, you got religion. No, no, I got so much more than religion. Jesus moved on the inside. <laughs> and the world has to sit back and say, well, I thought it'd wear off, but you're still going to that church. I thought you'd be back at the bar, but I keep seeing you with that Bible. I watch you every Sunday. You leave at about 945, and you're headed down to that church. When are you going to quit going to church? I'm not. I'm, I, hey, I've had somebody that's changed my life. I'm on the right path, the right road, and that's the direction I'm going to keep running. You say, why? Because of what happened on the inside. What's on the inside? only with those men three and a half years. Do you understand that? That's not long. Three and a half years. And he's, he's getting ready to leave and go to Calvary. And he's saying, you know what I want in them? I want to be in them personally. I want my glory in them. That is the glory. Jesus on the inside. I hope when people leave Tabernacle, they don't point to our facilities and point to all our ministries. I hope they point to Jesus Christ and say, well, that church right there has got something going on with Jesus. Amen. 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 I, want, I want my joy in them. I want the Word of God in them. The last thing was the love of God, and that love of God makes a difference. But here's what, I'm, here's what I want to end this morning. And Ken, you can just come to Oregon. I do work on the outside. I try to take care of the way I look. I try to take care of the way my body works, and I have a hard time with that sometimes. I try to take care of the clothes that I wear, the way that I conduct myself. I, I want to have, have a good attitude, all those things. I want to be in the right places. 
But all those things on the outside are not nearly as important as what's on the inside. And I'm telling you, as, as the people of this church, God wants the Word of God in you. He wants the glory of His Son in you. Amen. He wants that in you. And you and I, we have a choice. We can keep working on this, or we can say, God, would you help this? Would you please do something in here that will make the difference out there? Amen. Lord, we thank you for the day. And Lord, with my heart, I, I do. I want the love of God in my heart. And I want, I want the glory of Christ in my, in my person, Lord, that people not pointing it at me, but they're pointing at Jesus, scratching their head, wondering how in the world could something like that be done. Lord, I want your word in my heart, not just in my head, not something I check off when I daily read my Bible. I want it to dwell there, Lord. I want your joy in my heart. And I pray you'd help us as your people today to see that this prayer of Jesus is, is really a defining moment in those men's lives. That what was in them was going to determine what they would be and how they would go forward. And I pray you'd help our people in Jesus' name. Amen. The altar's open. If you'd stand to your feet, invite you to come this morning. Maybe you need to get on an altar and say, God, I'm a broken thing, but I sure would like you to do something on the inside. If you'd go ahead and sing, Brother Down Steve. at the cross where my Savior died, down where for cleansing from sin I, I cried. There to my heart was the blood applied. Maybe you're not saved this morning. Glory to his trust, name. trust Christ as his Savior. You'll never regret it. Glory to His name. Glory to His name. There to my heart was the blood applied. Glory to His name. I am so one. Saved from sin, Jesus so sweetly abides within. There at the cross where He took me in. Glory to His name. Sing with me on the chorus. Glory to His name. Glory to His name. Was the blood applied? Glory to His name. All right, got one other little thing we need to take care of, James. Man, well, y'all want to come this way? Come on, son. And I'm just going. I'm going to hand the microphone here. We just wanted to church, join the church. Yeah, that's what I. That's what your dad said. Listen, so James and Manuel want to come and join. He say? Okay, so James Emmanuel want to come join the church this morning by statement or by letter? Statement. All right, so I'm going to let him just tell us when you got saved. When did you get saved? Uh, I was saved when I was uh, a young boy. I can't remember the age, but I remember I was home with my mom. 
and uh, <laughs> I was scared to go to hell and lived far away from the Lord, but the Lord found me again back in church. And uh, my wife was saved under my dad's preaching, so that's a blessing to me also. Amen. Amen. And uh, we just want to be at Tabernacle. We love Tabernacle. Amen. Have y'all both been scripturally baptized? Yes, sir. Manuel, you want to say anything? Um, I met James at high school in 2013, I believe. And the end of 2013, I got saved. <laughs> 2014, I was baptized. Nathan was, I was pregnant. How about that? Yeah. And next month, Nathan is going to be seven. And we already married for seven years. Seven, amen. Yeah. And it's a blessing to have these. Amen. Amen. Yeah. Amen. So. How many of you are in favor of taking James and Manuela into our congregation by statement? Amen. Isn't that good? I can't prove it. And it's not salvation. So I know that in the presence of the angels, there's rejoicing. But just maybe somebody will slip that in. And if they do, you reckon your, your granddaddy? Uncle Danny. And Danny. Danny. Danny is so concerned about James. He talked to me about him. And to see that thing come full circle today and him stand down front. That's big stuff, man. Big stuff. So, all right. Well, come by and let them know you're glad they joined. And uh, Nathan, we're glad, we're glad that y'all are part of Tabernacle. Do you want to say anything? Nope. Okay, that's all right. All right. Well, Lord, we thank you for the day. We thank you for the work you're doing in James and Manuela's life. And I know not just them, but many others, Lord, and... Lord, for the people we've seen saved here in the last few weeks, what a blessing that is. And then to see somebody else make a public statement, hey, we love Jesus and we're committed to following him. And Lord, we thank you. Help us to, help us to be careful with them and help us to help them along. And, and uh, Lord, um, thank you for your grace that's able to reach far beyond our sin. And Lord, we just give you the glory for it in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Lord bless you. You're dismissed.